You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 121, or 12 in the 1, as we were deciding Bilbo would say. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And uh, one of the things we want to mention before we do our normal follow-up is uh, we've kind of fired up our Reddit community again. So once upon a time, we, we actually have been auto-posting episodes to Reddit for a long time to a Sunrise Robot sun, subreddit, r slash Sunrise Robot. But for Flipping Tables specifically, we think our community... There's probably some overlap with people that use Reddit. And uh, it's also just Reddit has one of the best commenting systems on the web. Um, and it's just really transparently obvious and easy to read lots of comments in a row and kind of have a great discussion. And so we thought we would fire up a sub, our subreddit for Flipping Tables. So if you head to our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 121, <laughs> you can find a link or you can just head straight to reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables. And uh, every episode will be posted there and it'll be a nice little comment section uh, for follow up and extra detail. Yeah, because comments are never going to happen on the website. No, we're we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I still love Twitter. This isn't me crapping yeah. on Twitter. It's just not good for ongoing conversation. Well, I want the crosstalk of people that aren't friends with each other, but listen to the show and have strong opinions about some of the stuff we talk about. Agreed. They should talk with each other, and I would love to learn from that. Um, so that's cool. And then you have a little follow-up on Siri. Uh, I do. So um, we'll... This is not entirely Siri's fault, uh, but I've been spoiled by how Google knows what I meant, <laughs> and Siri does Google not. Google gets you. <laughs> Google does. It completes so, you. So uh, Siri was not wrong. Sioux City is in Iowa. North Sioux City is just over the border into South Dakota. And then Sioux Falls, which is where I actually was, that is also in South Dakota. Um, the thing that I find interesting about this, and I mean, I'm, I'm wrong, right? There's, it is indefensible. You're that wrong, I'm, but users are always wrong, and yes. defensive design will yes, help and, get a good and, result. And this is what I think is interesting, is apparently Google's, uh, I guess, map you know, algorithm must have placed some high trust that when I said the name of the state, it was more likely that I was right there than about the exact name of the city. So like if I had said Springfield, right there, like 25 states have a Springfield. So instead of picking the most famous one or a specific one, I wonder if I said a state and that state had a Springfield, if Google would be like, well, he's probably not wrong about the state. <laughs> so we're going to just assume that's the Springfield he means. And I think that's what was happening here is when I did it with Siri, Siri was like, nah, dude, that's not the name of the city. The name of the city that's in South Dakota is Sioux Falls. And that's not what you said, <laughs> Where, it, which is, it's, I mean, it's not wrong to do yeah. that. But then, uh, you know, Google was like, eh, there's only 50 states, but there's like 100,000 cities 
So the odds that he got the state wrong is lower than that he got yeah. the exact name of the city wrong. And it just, it's all the machine learning stuff. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is you would think something like our cities and streets would be like as concrete data as possible but it these are human labels that you know there's lots of cities like cincinnati spills into kentucky um, oh. there's lots of cities <laughs> like this that it's like are you going to cincinnati are you going like <laughs> it's cheaper like if you're going to a reds game it's cheaper to park in kentucky and walk across <laughs> a bridge and go to the reds game like it's one of those weird things that's well, it's like, like kansas city kansas city missouri and yeah kansas city kansas <laughs> And this, I, so I don't want to like dox myself, but uh, I I live in a neighborhood that has uh, streets that are all named alike. So let's just say it's it's Main Street, but then off of Main Street is Main Court, Main Place, yeah. and Main Circle. And every block in my neighborhood is like that. So the next one is like First Street, and then there's First Court, First Place, and First Circle, and. It's like when you try and Google an address in a neighborhood like that, it's like, ooh, man, you better have that, that <laughs> suffix right because otherwise you're going to be off by like an entire city block. It's a little weird. I mean, it's cute and it's very suburban, but it also makes the data harder to, to yeah, guess at. It's, it doesn't degrade gracefully. Like. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, and then I did uh, also, uh, I egregiously said uh, word perfect was a Microsoft product. See, I thought you were just naming the competitor at the time <laughs> that mattered. And so I didn't bat an eye when you're like, yeah, Word and WordPerfect yes. competed. And and that is exactly the way it sounded when I listened back to it. Uh, but I, in fact, meant works. What a strange thing that that exists. Yes. And existed and, so long. Yeah. And th so I, I linked to the Wikipedia article for Microsoft Works because it was supported up through Windows Vista. And I you hate know to the say company it, we're, we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, this is Microsoft's backwards compatibility writ large. But I hate to say it, but I'm I'm actually kind of glad I said that wrong because this factoid is so interesting. <laughs> like, I cannot believe. I mean, I remember in high school having teachers say like, "Oh, if you're going to turn in a digital file, make sure it's Microsoft Word and not Microsoft Works," because I don't have, I can't open Works on my computer. <laughs> I only which have, is weird for an app made by the same company in both cases. I think eventually Office could open Works files, but for a long time they were completely separate, and they may have been separate their whole lives. But certainly in the in the time we were in school, and we're, I mean the, the entire reason that Works existed was like some kind of cheap consumer level upsell to Word like ladder of software wasn't it like oh yeah it was the one hey, that came bundled yeah or this is 19.99 at walmart <laughs> if you don't want to buy office yeah yeah i mean there was a time when i think office was only available as the suite and then they broke it up but they only broke out certain parts yeah like you couldn't i don't think you could buy you could buy like word 97 or something yeah and you could buy like access because most people did not need that it was yeah there was a whole Thing. But I'm I'm coming clean. I did. I meant <laughs> Microsoft Works. I said WordPerfect. Um, but it doesn't matter because everybody just uses Google Drive now. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, 
Well, speaking of Microsoft, as we get into the show, we uh, we had a topic that we were kind of putting off, but it's one of those perennial topics that we you know we could talk to about it from a year from now, and it would still be interesting. And that is Microsoft Research, which is always coming up with awesome stuff, and almost none of it makes it to market, which is sad, <laughs> super sad. <laughs> or it makes it to market in like the word like it would be like Microsoft Kin. Remember that phone or something. <laughs> You know, well, what was the their folio thing that was basically like a dual yeah. screen it, iPad? What was that called? Uh, courier. Courier. Yeah, that thing was dope. Like I wanted to physically try one of those, but I don't think it ever made it to production. And then we got Surface, which there are cool things about the Surface, but uh, well, but the the Surface is more directly competing with. It's like, way the more iP- conventional. Yes. Like, I felt like the courier was trying to do something new. It was new more and visionary, yeah. and it was just part of that part of Microsoft seems to get kind of tamped down too much. Maybe less so now, but they're they're not really pursuing the the hardware life as much. Well, I don't know. In a weird way, they are more than ever because they're making their own laptops. But yeah, but not their own phones because they just <laughs> totally shut down that. That's a whole other thing, though. Yeah, but it seems like. There clearly were parts of Microsoft, and we'll talk about this video in a second when we finally get to it, (laughs) um, that are as innovative as any part of this industry and very interested in creating the future. And then something about the other structures of Microsoft kind of kills it before it becomes their new life. I mean, I think... (laughs) So we're not waiting till the end of the episode to crap on Microsoft. Well, I, I mean, I think this is just a giant corporation problem, right? If you are Apple right now and you have the iPhone, it's the idea of changing the iPhone in any significant way is terrifying because it's like, well, this is like our thing, right? If you're Microsoft, the idea of damaging the Microsoft office business, which is like one of their largest revenue streams is terrifying, right? I mean, remember- no one will lose that argument with a sensible person of like, why would you want to- (laughs) Yeah, don't kill this golden goose. Yeah, I mean, that's innovator's dilemma in in a nutshell. And I mean, that's why I personally, just because of the way I, I like, that's why I like Google so much because- I'm willing to try things that may not last because I just want them to keep trying stuff. And I, and I love, because it's easier to do that with software than with physical goods. So they yeah. can just keep spinning up services and then murdering them brutally. <laughs> um, but you know, the, this thing with, so the, this thing with Microsoft research, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's pre-crime or pre, pre-touch. pre <laughs> <laughs> The minority report. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's this ability to sense uh, like the approach well, of your interpret, finger. Yeah, yeah, the intent. And, yeah, and in, interpret, oh, how close are they? How how likely are they to push on this part of the screen or maybe this other part? And and in this video, which uh, you should really watch, it's only like three and a half minutes. It's very cool. Um, they show all these cool, like, s- intention-sensitive menus. So, like, you put your finger on the screen, and then you put your your thumb near the screen, and that brings up, like, a context menu, because it says, like, oh, he's not touching the screen, I'm going to show him this little menu. Well, and one of my favorite, basically that example was, you're watching a video, and you generally don't want to see any UI when you're watching a video, you want it to fill the screen, but if you're going to pause it or change the volume, 
you have to tap and then wait for it to fade up and then do your thing. And if you're on iOS and use the volume button, then you get this nice big square blocking your video for about <laughs> seven seconds, um, which they really need to change that. Um, but then now it can know like if you're hovering over the screen that you might want to do something like rewind or pause or whatever, and then it can fade up. And even to the point where it's anticipating, you can basically just go pause the video and done. Yeah. Well, and and they even showed how it would gracefully degrade because it can also detect grip, right? Because it can see like, oh, his hand is near the edge of the screen on both sides. That's probably them gripping the phone. And then it would show you a thumb uh, convenient menu if you reached over with your thumb because it can tell the difference between you gripping it and using the thumb on the same hand and you gripping it and reaching you know yeah. in, into your palm with the index finger of your other hand and it's like oh man this is, this is awesome because yeah. then the buttons are where i am like they've come to me well and when yeah when your hardware and sensors can be that expressive and detecting what's happening you can make stronger assumptions, which lets you make the software do those things. Whereas with current tech, if the software is trying to interpret and assume all sorts of things, it would be in your way constantly. You'd be like, no, stop it. Because <laughs> you, you have no idea that I was, you know, I was telling a story and I talk with my hands. And <laughs> Right. Well, and even like you said on iOS, you have to say like, please show me. And I mean, this is true on Android too, but you have to be like, please show me the controls. Okay, now I want to pause. On iOS, uh, for phones, they also always go full screen, no matter what. Like, you cannot watch a video in line. Yeah, unlike the iPad, which they let you. Right, and on Android, where they let you. So you can always say, if I'm going to watch this video, it's click to play, and then click to bring the menu back up, clicked on, or tapped on. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, watching a video is like a 20-tap commitment. Like, you can't. <laughs> You can't just play pause or play or play let it play to the end and then go back to scrolling because you have to interact with the player controls. And that's a little bit annoying. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it is a little bit annoying. And you could streamline that by having the buttons show up when they make sense to show up and then having them be like well, gone the rest of the time. An extension of the theory of what touch gave us in the first place was con like you know, it's the 2007 iPhone unveiling of like, we use soft keys <laughs> so that the keyboard can be what it needs to be in every app and not right. just, you can't ship a new keyboard to Blackberries and <laughs> but, but those, just for certain apps like those unhook. people love those keyboards so much. They do. <laughs> and if you, all you do is email, I guess there's a reason to love that. Um, well, and that was in a pre-GIF keyboard world. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't know what they were missing. <laughs> Um, so this research is seriously cool. And I mean, not all of, I mean, it's research, so they kind of explore every corner and not every corner seems is, is something you would ship. <laughs> and so like, there were some of the like, hover this on this side and then hover on the other side. And we know <laughs> to show you this third thing. And I'm like, 
yeah, that's not UI. That's going to work for normal people. But it's, I mean, you got to try these things. <laughs> well, and in true Microsoft fashion, when they show the example of a context menu, it's in a file browser and it's a window <laughs> full of folders and Microsoft like, Office documents. So now documents. we can ship Windows to them, right? <laughs> yeah. Guys, please. <laughs> yeah. I, I did think it was kind of cute that it's like, oh, if I want to move my Excel spreadsheets around on my phone, I'll have a super convenient menu. And it's like all the, the video player thing made total sense right like that that's, yeah that was damn near shippable like as they showed it mm-hmm. and then the 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 grip sensitive thing makes a lot of sense as you know we get closer to like edge-to-edge screens which we'll talk about in a minute um, yeah. and they show about like, what it can ignore as much as what it can yeah sense for doing something yeah like palm rejection on a, a trackpad um, and then the, they show for like two seconds, they were like, it can also be used for games like this soccer game. And then they were just off to something else. Yeah. But the, the thing they showed is as he, uh, as the guy like pulled his fingers away from the screen, the foot that he was kicking the soccer ball with lifted up. Yeah. So the view is like, I wonder why they didn't do like slingshot Dennis the menace for that. Yeah. Or angry birds or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, the, but I just thought it was funny that they were like also games. <laughs> just like tacked it in there really quick but uh yeah the the moving excel spreadsheets around was probably the least compelling part of that demo. but that's what they spent more time on but they had to have it in there yeah and i even just like a lot of the footage just shows like what little diagnostic software they set up to show like color temperature of how hard you're gripping or how close you are to different parts of the screen and you know it's like blocky squares of color and even that was just fun to see to really show off oh i get what they're talking about oh yeah because the heat map like lights yeah. up like oh as it gets closer we're yeah. we're more and more sure that this is where you're gonna touch and they had a couple other few uh like minor things in there like if you because it can sense your approach if you tap and then immediately swipe they can assume you probably did not mean to tap. But yeah. if you're on like a bumpy car ride or on a train or something, maybe like you just got jostled into the screen, but really <laughs> what you were trying to do is swipe. So they could use that approach sensing information to make educated guesses about like, eh, let's just ignore that tap. That mm-hmm. That's probably not what they meant to do. And that's a whole, like, I don't, I don't really think of UI that way because I'm not a UX person, but the idea of not just determining what you meant to do, but getting input and being in, being able to intelligently say like, no, <laughs> that, that's not what you meant. Yeah. We, we're pretty sure that's not what you meant. I mean, we deal with that all the time, right? Like that's autocorrect text, yeah. right? And it's, it's, the, and it's like everyone laughs text. about how like all the autocorrect mistakes, but I've tried to live without autocorrect and it's a much worse life. (laughs) No autocorrect. The only place autocorrect is a insult to God and all that he has brought us (laughs) is on a full keyboard computer. If I have a full tactile keyboard, like on a laptop or a desktop and they try and autocorrect me, I'm like, no, which is as far as I can tell iOS nine on my iPad pro using the keyboard it's doing all the same autocorrect. So I've bumped into some, why are you interfering with what I typed? <laughs> Don't you tell me what I meant. <laughs> and so, they, yeah, we're in that weird middle space of you can't assume this dichotomy of mobile. and. Well, I would really, I mean, even OS X, at least as far back as Yosemite maybe, has autocorrect on by default. 
And yeah. when, when I set up a new Mac or if I, you know, re- refresh my Mac and then I start to type in, I'm intentionally typing something wrong because it's funny or it's an intentionally silly spelling like more M O A R and it auto corrects it in line. I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> no, you did not just do that. Yeah. So let's uh, segue from this edge-to-edge grippy goodness that Microsoft has into this crazy rumor. So one of our listeners uh, asked me about this. Uh, they, 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 we got some some feedback, and they said, "Did you hear about you know the the iPhone Seven might be like all glass, like edge-to-edge, completely one hundred percent glass?" And I thought to myself. Didn't they say that about the iPhone 6? <laughs> and some quick Googling confirms that they've actually been saying that for a while. Like, yeah. This has been one of the yearly rumors. And this like, is why you should never take iPhone rumors seriously. <laughs> yes. um, but the one difference is that from a, a physical manufacturing standpoint, uh, if they used sapphire glass, which is how the rumor came up last time because the Apple Watch and because they were doing sapphire glass manufacturing, but it wasn't for the phone, uh, that would solve a lot of these physical durability and structural problems having edge-to-edge glass. Um, now we're going to talk about all the ways that this would completely change everything <laughs> else and how most of them would be bad. <laughs> so in uh, this article that I linked to uh, that's all about, you know, rumor mill stuff for the iPhone 7, there is some somebody's, you know, senior class uh, dribble mock-up of what this could potentially look like. And it's a beautiful edge-to-edge piece of glass but it's also an edge-to-edge display. There is zero bezel. It is 100% screen. I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, I don't like technically feasible. Yeah, that that, that seems but like But even if it was like I get like the the iPhone's bezels are large by industry standards. They've always been on the large side because Apple loves their home button and they also love symmetry, so the forehead is going to match <laughs> the chin. And, I mean, you could argue a devil's advocate, like, well, when you're using it in landscape, you want this even grip with the screen, whatever. Sure. But their bezels are large. Android phones have been much thinner bezels, especially on the better ones for a long time and you know samsung is making at least on some dimensions edge to edge just about the, yeah um, well and their home button is is rectangular so that it's shorter and doesn't creep up into the screen space as much yeah so they have much thinner chins and foreheads um and so i, I get like apple has a lot they could cut but edge to edge seems like extreme like is and would we i guess without this microsoft kind of grip tech wouldn't that just pose problems well i've spoken to several people who have used the uh the s6 and the s7 edge the samsung phones yeah and i've I've read really positive reviews because for some reason it the weirder shaped phone also has the larger battery so it gets better battery life and and it's cool to use the edge things but the people that I actually know that I've spoken to, uh, I actually I finally sold my Nexus 6P to a guy who needed a phone because he had an S7 Edge and he hated it <laughs> <laughs> and he got rid of it. Um, and when I, I asked him and I've asked other people like, you know, what didn't you like about it? Because I've read such positive reviews. They all said like I was constantly pushing buttons like 
there'd be a volume slider and I would accidentally scrape it with my palm or there'd be like an, an app icon over there and I would accidentally mash it with my, like my ring finger or something. And I don't want that like more screen that is in my way and is not right in front of me. And I mm-hmm. hit buttons by mistake is not good. Yeah. And they, those stories fit my preconceived narrative, which can be wrong of like, sometimes Samsung just wants to yell first <laughs> oh, and yeah. then you're like, but was it a good idea? <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I get there are people that love the edge and there, there are cool things about having sort of this little dock on the side where you can quick launch utilities and, and apps. Um, but yeah, I, I do think edge to edge pose and even like assume the tech ignores your grip and all that stuff. Like, do we want, do we need like what are we giving up so that the screen can literally go to the complete edge, which means it probably has more wear and tear getting bumped and scratched and like yeah. you can have a millimeter of bezel and I'm not gonna cry. Well and so something that I wish more phones would do, and there may be a structural reason this is a bad idea, but it, it seems like a good idea, is have a millimeter of bezel not just uh you know, on like your, your X and Y coordinate, but also give me like a little bit on the Z coordinate. A little lip. So, yeah. So that if I put the phone down, That's, it's actually not laying directly on the glass. Yeah. So every little, like the thing that scratches phones is dust and dirt and sand. Right. Yeah. It's not your keys. It's not like, oh no, I accidentally brushed so it with my the nail. food crumbs on your table. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Pose a bigger threat than your zipper or whatever. Yeah. So that... That seems like the obvious problem is the the touch indication and the the structural stuff. But looking at this mock-up, which again is beautiful, right? Because it just it's like a field of stars. Like when it's it's designer without engineering people telling them you can't do that <laughs> yeah. in real life. <laughs> um, but the you know it and it takes away the home button, which as a, a recent Android convert, I'm like, yeah, bring on more screen get rid of your stupid button you don't need your precious <laughs> dumb button down there um but you well, st- if they can do that without giving up touch id well go the, for it doing it on the back like the nexus devices now do is pretty great and if they i know but they'd I, have to move the apple logo or make it make the uh, apple logo a touch id that would actually be kind of cool like touch the apple logo to <laughs> unlock your phone um but on uh i think it was lg i'll try and find this and put it in the show notes uh, but I think LG had patented uh, a touch sensor that works through glass. So I could imagine Apple saying, no, the touch sensor is exactly where it's always been. It's just now there's also screen there. So yeah. if you're not using the home button, you're getting extra screen. And when you wake the screen, it'll just show a circle there in the yeah the, with pixels. You know, yeah, and, or like the little animation of the thumbprint, like put your thumb or something. Yeah. A little Apple logo, whatever. But that that makes total sense to me because uh, I'm still wildly in love and infatuated with my SE, (laughs) but I would totally give up the space where the home button is for more screen. Like, why would I not do that? I want a smaller form factor. I don't want to see less stuff, right? I I would be happy to not have to make that trade. When one of the few things I prefer about other than screen size that I like about the bigger iPhone that I have, which isn't a plus, it's the mid range, but um, is <laughs> the mid range is I I make fewer mistakes typing, and the few times I've like picked up a plus and like tried to type out a note or demo it um, for a few minutes, 
I feel like if I were willing to go with the plus, I would probably type faster and better in general on almost every situation. But those bezels make that phone <laughs> so much bigger than it has to be. It's true. Yeah, if, if they were willing to give up the symmetry and give up the the iPhone look with the bezels, it'd be half an inch smaller, which is yeah. a lot. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it'd be it'd go from it's like six inches for a five point five, and or I guess that's diagonals we're talking. But yeah. it's yeah, it is a lot bigger than it needs to be and so if they can figure that out then i I would love to try it but you can have a millimeter (laughs) johnny ive give (laughs) leave a millimeter please when you think that would actually fit with his whole design because he he could then make a, a white room video where he could say these are the thinnest lightest bezels we've ever made (laughs) You know, it just occurred to me with all the crazy politics stuff that's going on here in the United States that he is like a really prim and proper British version of like how Trump talks. (laughs) Don't you think? Because with Trump, everything is is huge and it's the best and it's the greatest, (laughs) best, greatest hotels. I can't do a good Trump. But, But you get what I'm saying. And Johnny Ive is like... He's like the polite non-douche version of that, where he's like, this is the best computer. Well, it's uh, it's kind of bizarro at the same time, because I, I believe he really thinks deeply. <laughs> and even if, you know, his phrasings it become instant cliches and fun to mock and meme, it's like, I really do think he spends hours a day thinking through his decisions, even if some of them we still go, that's bad. <laughs> well, I also think that he... Whereas Trump is just a constant y- stream of consciousness. Yeah, and bullshit. Is, yes. <laughs> and and he is... Uh, the, Johnny Ives' claims may not be universally agreed with, but they're generally agreed with. Like, most people say, oh, wow, that is a beautiful object you've made, or, oh, wow, this is incredible engineering you've packed into this tiny device. Like, (laughs) most people agree with him, whereas when most people hear Trump, they're just like, what are you even talking? Like, (laughs) this is, whatever thing you're saying is the best is actually the worst. So, it's (laughs) amazing the places flipping tables gets to, but you never knew you would hear people arguing about the ways in which Donald Trump and Johnny Ive are similar or different. This is, uh, I just want to be clear, it is uh, uh, 22, 23 hours on Friday, May 27th. Uh, I don't believe anyone else has ever made that comparison, so I would like to to put my stamp on that. <laughs> this, uh, yeah. Uh, so the, the phone thing, um, and there there is, I'm just going to sweep aside... Um, if you, you look into this, this article I linked to, or if you Google like iPhone seven mockups or iPhone seven rumors, the vast majority of them are obviously nonsense. Uh, the built-in projectors, the, uh, crazy, like 100% glass, like there's no metal or plastic at all. Um, the the uh the laser keyboard that they've been talking about since like the iPhone 3 people are like oh it's going to have yeah. a keyboard that shoots out in front of you like none of those rumors are true well it's the classic thing of in a of crappy web publishing world where everyone's trying to scrape revenue from whatever <laughs> terrible headlines they can create that it's sadly lucrative to make up crap about the i. It's like slow Thursday, make up an iPhone rumor. Yeah. Some analyst thinks blah, blah, blah. 
There's no accountability <laughs> for being wrong. There's no downside. Everyone will get in the comment section and argue and say, I hate Apple. I love Apple. That's a stupid idea. Whatever. Yep. And but. then, and the real <laughs> leaks come when they start manufacturing, which yeah. isn't until like a month or two before they launch. Yeah, because those are the things where you have some factory worker that snaps a picture of a part or something. Yeah, which I just saw a headline that Foxconn has replaced over 50% of their workforce with robots in the since uh, the iPhone 6. Okay. So I feel like we're going to see less leaks because machines tell no tales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah machine, uh, as long as they don't give the machines Twitter accounts. Like, yeah. it's going to be, uh, you know... Arm with claw underscore underscore it's five a, two seven. The easiest secret to keep is from the worker you didn't have to hire. <laughs> That's a like Kafka esque yeah. feature. Um, but the the thing that has me intrigued about this edge to edge screen that I didn't really consider is you could get rid of the home button, right? You could get rid of the home button and have some kind of magical touch sensor through the glass, or just well, put it on the back. <laughs> yeah, the your your Apple Watch there. Um, could become your login device. Uh, Android has something similar with you know trusted Bluetooth devices. Yeah. Um, so there are, there are ways to get around that without harshing the user experience. Uh, what there aren't good ways to get around, and as far as I know, no good ways to get around, is the front also has a speaker and a camera. Where do those things go? And those aren't feature. Those aren't optional anymore. <laughs> Well, the speaker it, was never optional. It's one of the things that makes a phone a phone. You yeah. have to be able to hear the person yeah. you're talking to. But yeah, the cam- the front-facing camera is also not optional anymore because an entire feature of the iPhone is FaceTime. Yeah, and, and selfies and Snapchat and all yeah. those things. You're not going to use the rear-facing camera And for in those. fact, I think... is. Is the 6S the first iPhone that doesn't have like VGA resolution on the front facing camera? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. They, yeah. they dogged on that for a while. And I think the MacBooks are still dogging on that. <laughs> yeah, it does always startle me when I have to use my MacBook camera and I'm just like, whoa, I look terrible. <laughs> oh, no, wait, it's the camera. <laughs> yeah. At least there you're like, well, you're mostly in like crappy Skype meetings that have terrible bandwidth in the first place. Yeah. Or you're going to turn off your camera anyway, so they can't tell you're just reading so emails Apple's, all the time. Like, that margin. Yeah. But yeah, what are you going to do with these front facing, like these things that literally do have to be on the front? It's not like the fingerprint sensor right. where it could you could solve it in different ways. Um, well, I tried to get clever because the... Uh, I don't know if this is all MacBooks or if it's just the pros or not just all the recent MacBooks. Ones. <laughs> Hashtag not all MacBooks, um, but some some of some amount of the models, uh, the power light is actually there are like microscopic holes etched into the aluminum, or not etched. That wouldn't be a hole, but they're like microscopic <laughs> holes punctured through the aluminum. And in the glass on the uh, where the eyesight camera is, they still call it the eyesight camera where the eyesight camera is. Uh, yeah. So that light can show, but when no, the they light call is it FaceTime camera. FaceTime camera. I don't know. It's one of those. It's sort of like iBooks became a bookstore and it used to be a laptop. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Um, but you know what I mean, like where those lights are. Yeah. When when the light is off, it is virtually impossible to tell that there are holes there that allow light to come through because it's like a, a super fine mesh. And 
I would believe you could do something similar with the speaker, even though it would probably make the speaker sound like garbage. But if you punctured a million super tiny holes near each other where the speaker traditionally is on a phone, then yeah, maybe you could have it be behind, remember, not just glass, but also the screen array. Yeah. um, and, And have the sound come through. But I don't see how you would do that with a camera. I don't think no, where you need an actual lens that like is yeah. already starving for light in every sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can have an apparatus that is both a producer and consumer of light. <laughs> like I don't, and I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be a smartass. I literally don't think physics works that way. I don't think you can do that. And if you could, that'd be super cool and also a little terrifying because then anything that's a screen could also be a camera i think we're gonna get to that (laughs) new form of orwell yeah and i mean cameras are already pretty small but when you consider let me grab my phone here i mean this is probably i would say this is half the size of a grain of rice the the camera yeah but if I had a completely edge-to-edge screen, it'd be really weird to have an ominous <laughs> black circle. Just it's like you have a permanent there. migraine. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you hold your phone up so I can see it. Yeah, so you have, is the whole phone white or is it just the front? Just the front. So C-3PO, otherwise. What, oh, is it the gold one? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, it is. But I mean, so there's a big black dot in the middle of the white screen. Whereas at least my phone is black on the front. So it's like you can see the camera, yeah. but it's a little bit camouflaged. But if I had like a big, beautiful wallpaper or a picture of my family or an app icon or something that was up it's there. It's not going to happen. Because yeah, I would notice a giant black hole. If there's one thing you can count on is that whether you love love it or not, Apple obsesses about the aesthetics of these things. And they're not going to put a big hole in the screen. Yeah. So I don't... I, the the speaker in this mock-up that is in this article, the person has actually left the speaker spot. And the microphone presumably could be kind of on the bottom, right? The speaker sort of needs to point directly into your yeah. ear, but the microphone can just be nearby. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't well, see how you would do this. Even, and, and in this mock-up, there just is no camera. Yeah. So that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about wearables. Yeah. <laughs> So um, we talked a little bit last time about, you know, in, in the follow-up about your life on iOS with still using an Android Wear. And it kind of came up that, you know, one of the ways to sidestep notification hell is for these wearables to get as independent as possible, as fast as possible. And uh, to, to kind of go along with that, I thought of a sort of, let's, let's take that thought a little further in light of the new Pebble so um, Pebble announced the Pebble 2, and um, there's there's like a high-end one and a, a regular one. And then there's also this new um, Pebble Core, which uh, you pointed out looks kind of like... I mean, it's, it's like a little rounded corner square. It's a little iPod shuffle, but with smart guts like cellular radio and... GPS. GPS. So runners can attach this thing and it'll track, you know, it'll track your, your steps and your distance and all that. And it also can directly stream or sync Spotify. So you get your music while you run and you don't even have to wear your watch, let alone strap a phone, which... These phones are increasingly big, and even they're even even a three and a half inch iPhone is ridiculous strapped to your arm. Oh no! I used to have back when phones were like the the SE size and smaller. I had one of those arm things, 
um, that was watertight because I used to yeah. do stand up paddleboarding and I used it like twice. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so Pebbles innovating here and sort of the interesting thing to Pebbles features because we had talked about our skepticism that Pebbles living in a Google and Apple world, they're always going to be second class citizens trying to pair. And even though Google tends to open their things more and maybe Pebble can thrive in that environment, um, nonetheless, I mean, so far Android Wear is is pretty closed down. Um, Anyway, if Pebble can set up themselves as a services company and they can work cellular radios into these things, and if the carriers don't completely ruin this party by making you pay $10 per device like they do right now to add them to your plan... (sighs) Um, I could see a future where Pebble can not just survive, but even for a while maybe thrive. And I mean, it kind of hinges on their services being good and people loving it and kind of embracing it. Um, Then it doesn't matter that iOS is never going to give enough sugar to non-Apple watches. Um, And even if Android allows it, it's just going to be a lot more crazy competition. Um, Maybe Pebble can thrive and please give us this future where <laughs> like I, I, I don't mind there being a cellular radio on all my devices, but my, my other point is the carriers have to get out of the way. Um, let me buy five, 10, 20, 30 gigs and then spread that however I want. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're not traveling that month and you're just working a lot in coffee shops, maybe most of it will go to your iPad pro Maybe another month you're really busy, you're on the go all the time, and most of it goes to your cell phone. Maybe yeah. another time you're you're it's beautiful weather, you're running a lot, so a bunch of that data is going to your your watch. But mm-hmm. don't make me say, Oh, well the watch gets a gig and the iPad Pro I don't really use that much data on, so that only gets two gigs. And oh, you borrowed this other thing and oh you didn't add it to your account through an official activation process, so that's going to really be a lot of friction if you're trying new things. And yeah. it's not just for my personal life that I want this. I want the, for the good of the tech industry, I want the pebbles of the world to have a viable option of innovating and succeeding in a world where the smartphone OSs are a duopoly that Microsoft can't even puncture. <laughs> and so, you know, you're you're not going to, you're always going to be a step behind trying to, to work on those platforms. And like, I like the pebble. I mean, the screen started glitching up by the end of it, but um, there's things about the pebble that are really cool. And there's no reason with a, a cell, cellular radio and an independent services platform that I could totally use a pebble as a legitimately smart watch and not just like, Oh, you get my phone's notifications and I'm annoyed at you because you can't do anything else. Well, doesn't, I mean, the, the two things are one, I think you're absolutely right. What we talked about is this idea of independence and I just tell things to notify my pebble. They don't notify my phone, which notifies my pebble, which I think is awesome. Like if that is the way they plan to architect this, that would get big thumbs up for me. Um, but it also seems like they are aware that Android Wear kind of has the the Google fanboys locked down and the Apple Watch is sort of your only like option mm-hmm. for an Android Wear-like experience on iOS. And Pebble will always be 
it, like if you switch between an iPhone and an Android phone, Pebble would probably be the best way to go because it's like that part's consistent or more consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they also have kind of realized like we are never going to completely eat their lunch, but we can swoop in and scoop the Fitbit surges and the 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 Garmin watches by just putting like a really good GPS radio in there because then Pebble can say, hey, don't take off your Apple Watch and put on your Garmin to go for a run. Just only ever wear a Pebble. Like we'll yeah. solve both of those needs well enough that you don't have to have two devices. And chances are it won't be as good at fitness stuff as like a, a dedicated fitness watch would, but it'll be a whole lot better at smartphone you know, connectivity stuff than those fitness watches yeah. ever will well, be. And once you open the internet-connected services Pandora's box, it's like maybe you have a preferred web app that tracks your fitness. Well, why couldn't the Pebble allow you to connect to that or, or sync your data there? And then it's it's not just that, oh, Pebbles needs to be the best. It's, oh, this goes to the internet, so therefore anything can be done <laughs> therefore internet. unless the sensor tech itself is so bad that it's unreliable or something well but, that's where their game needs to be on point yeah because anything else is software you can always fix software in post if the carriers don't ruin the whole party by just <laughs> remaining a, a terrible obstacle basically the carriers need to be dumb pipes and accept that reality well i i I sympathize with them that this happened slowly over time where they were like, oh, you know, right now we're just a dumb pipe. And then eventually they became giant multi-billion dollar conglomerates and they were like, we'll sell our own TV shows and we'll sell our own movies and that'll completely remove our objectivity because now we have a stake in this game. But that kind of didn't and maybe even sort of can't happen with other things we consider utilities. Like, can you imagine if one day your water bill came and it said like add Coca-Cola to your faucets for just $10 a month <laughs> yeah. where it's like, no, your job is to bring and take away water plumbing. Well, and they're like, your water bill is twice as much, but if you bundle Coke, we'll give you a discount on water. That's exactly what Comcast and everyone does. It is exactly like, do you want a landline? No, no. <laughs> Actually, oh my, okay, so just as an aside, um, I read a uh, a funny thing that said, uh, it, it was all about like some of your devices use way more power when you're not using them than you think, and one of them is cable boxes. Apparently cable boxes, when they're in standby, they're basically just turned on. Like They, they use pretty much their full draw. Yeah, I hear our, and even when we're not DVRing something, it, the thing is just has the fan going. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not, you're off. Like, what, what are you you're doing? Like, you're not a gaming PC. <laughs> you, you shouldn't be trying to water cool, like, four <laughs> graphics cards. What is happening? So I, uh, I recently changed my Comcast plan because I won't go into it, but the, the kind of Comcast BS you expect happened. And uh, I had previously a small cable box from them. And I was able to get rid of it, and and they their loss department called me and was like, "Hey, uh, why are you canceling your service?" And I was like, "No, no, 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 I didn't. No, I'm not canceling my service. <laughs> I'm removing cable because I don't want it. I want just internet." And they were like, 
well, why are you dissatisfied with the cable service? And I was like, I was never satisfied with it. I only had it because it made my internet cheaper. But now that you're jacking my plan up, I'm going to just an internet only plan. And they were like, oh, well, okay. They really want you to keep the bundle. Oh, God. They were, they were like confused. Like, well, how are you going to live without TV? And I was like, I've been living without TV <laughs> for like years now. I mean, and then they tried, they were like, well. It's what I, plants crave. <laughs> They're like, have you thought about going to like a triple play? Those are the best deal. And I was like, it's not a good deal if I'm buying things I don't want. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's not how math works. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was really excited to disconnect that cable box because even though it was the small like uh, surfboard modem sized one, you know, the really tiny one. When I unplugged that thing from the wall and I actually picked it up off the shelf, it was crazy hot. <laughs> I was like, you've never been turned on. You're just sitting here doing nothing. Frying eggs on it. Yeah, and I've been paying who knows how much in power every month. Um, But yeah, I mean, Comcast, T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon. Verizon in particular because they've made forays into the home internet and they're deeply entrenched in mobile internet. Like, just accept that you decided to go into the utility business, utilities, and (laughs) be dumb pipes. Let the pebble survive. We don't need innovation in your field anymore. We just need good service. Yep. Stop trying to bundle Coke with my water. Yeah. That's innovation though, man. You need the Coke pipe. <laughs> so the the Pebble 2 and the Time 2 and the Pebble Core and the Pebble Core for hackers because <laughs> apparently now you can have 30 devices in your single Kickstarter. <laughs> Did they end hackers with E-R-Z or O-R-Z? No, they were cool about it. Okay. They spelled it like gentlemen. They didn't say that ninjas and <laughs> rock stars could use this. They did not. Um, but this actually did make me consider a pebble again. And I'm, I'm not going to buy it. Like I, just, I know I'm not. <laughs> but what I like is that I looked at this and I said, there are compelling things here. And when my Moto 360 eventually dies or I'm ready to upgrade it, I I don't think I will just immediately say like, oh, I'm definitely getting the next Android Wear device. Or if I still have an iPhone, I'm definitely going to get an Apple Watch. Like this actually makes me feel like Pebble is still in the game. Yeah, which I didn't previously feel like. It was more like Death Watch. (laughs) Yeah. Like they're either going to, like I think I said it on an episode, like they're going to die or they're going to get acquired. Like those are, like that's the best case scenario. Be compelling enough or find some sort of patent angle that one of the bigger fish just wants to eat you. Yeah. And I think they, if they are going, if if my sense of this is right and they are going on this kind of sporty, Hey, we know we're not Android wear. Hey, we know we're not the Apple watch, but what we are is a fitness device. So good. You can use it as a smartwatch. If, if that is the route they're going, they're, I think, shrinking the size of their target market a little bit because some people will look at it and be like, I don't really want all those fitness features. And there will be no good pebble marketing to say like, but you can ignore those. <laughs> <laughs> you can still just use it as a smartwatch, right? So they're, I think they're hedging their bets You can buy bit. cereal and just use the bag to store things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's quite that no. outrageous, but yes, you could. <laughs> Um, but I think that they're they're hedging their bets in the market they're trying to stand out in because if I am a consumer and my options are like 
you know, the, the larger Fitbit or a very expensive Garmin watch or the Pebble. And I check on all these runners forums and these swimmers forums. And they're all like, nah, man, the Pebble has awesome GPS and it has awesome heart rate tracking. And it, it does all of these other smartwatch things also that, you know, the Pebble is capable of that could be a compelling story, but I, I don't see how they were ever going to directly compete with the Apple watch or with Android wear. And it seems like they agree with me Yeah, and with yeah, everyone it's pivot else. time. Yeah. Like, and, and, and just the, the Fitbit thing I think is going to be a race to the bottom. I think I'm like, I've said that wearables are probably never going to be nearly as large as the smartphone market. And I think that's pretty well understood and believable to just about anyone. But Nonetheless, I do think there's going to be the established platforms, like you're saying, the Google and the, the Apple, and then there's going to be a race to the bottom commodity market. And so I guess the, the question is, can Pebble carve that out? Well, I've seen, so before I had a smartwatch, I wanted a let me know if my phone is ringing bracelet, basically, yeah. <laughs> so that I didn't have to always have my phone in my pocket all the time. And if you've ever looked for this on Amazon, there are like $5 Chinese piece of crap Bluetooth bracelets that do nothing except tell you that your phone made a noise. <laughs> like it vibrates or there's an LED that lights up and I'm sure the parts are the worst, you know, lowest quality components. But I think it's interesting that, that we've already hit in that very, you know, ridiculous edge case we've already kind of hit the floor with wearables, yeah. right? Like you can, if you, if all you care about is being notified that your phone did a thing, right? Yeah. Got a call, alerted you to an email, whatever. You can already buy a $5 device that will do that. Yeah. And even if, even if you want to kind of, if you're that company and you want to rest in the fact that, Oh, Apple stuff will always be expensive. Like, they still tend to crush like the umbrella space under their thing. Like the the first iPod was five hundred dollars, <laughs> but within a couple of years they had stuff down way down. And yeah, it was a shuffle or it was a, a mini or a, a nano. But like they eventually got the price point much lower to where it's like yeah, you you can survive as a fifty dollar MP three player. But if you're a hundred dollars, people are going to be like, "Why didn't I buy an iPod?" Yep. And I think the watch is going to go that direction. Like it started off three forty nine, but eventually I think it'll be one ninety nine. And how much tech can you pack in the ninety nine dollar watch? Yeah, I mean, it, more and more over time, but it'll always be that many steps below. Well. I'm I'm not an economicist, but <laughs> I, clearly, <laughs> I think uh, there is probably an interesting. This sounds like something Horace would do on uh, the critical path, but there there's probably an interesting uh, intersection of price and like income of the public because. Uh, Apple historically has, as they've gotten more devices in the lineup, the you know last year's device becomes the cheap one. This yeah. year's device is priced. They don't the same. make a cheap one; they just keep selling the old one, right? But this year's device is then priced the same as last year's device was last year. So last year's is now ninety nine. This year's is one ninety nine, just like last year's was when it was new. And all their manufacturing efficiencies or excess stock or whatever like right. that all plays into it. 
But it never has. They never put the flavor of clearance sale, or right. it's never like it's still sold with a straight face by Apple geniuses as greatest thing. This will change your life, <laughs> right? But my 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 grasping at at how supply and demand works is you could over maybe two or three versions, right? Maybe not every year, but over several iterations over like five or ten years, you could probably make an argument that. Well, if the iPhone was four ninety nine, the original iPhone was four ninety nine. Let's say in two thousand seven for like the base model or five ninety nine with a contract. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, let's just say if you bought the device outright, it was six hundred dollars. And if you buy an iPhone outright today, ten years later or almost ten years later, it's six hundred dollars. Well, the earning power of the average person has gone up, but the yeah. price hasn't. So in a very real way, you can argue that these devices are cheaper, even though the literal number has not changed because yeah. your buying power has increased. So the the idea of like, well, you know, this when when smartwatches were new, they were ninety nine or you know two ninety nine, and now we the ninety nine dollar device is less than half as good as the hundred ninety nine dollar device. By the time we get there, one hundred ninety nine dollars will also be a less uh, like concern worthy amount of money. Right. And I mean, we see this kind of thing with Kindle too, where they're, they've actually gone backwards. The original Kindles were ludicrously expensive. And then they made a name for themselves by figuring out how to produce them for $4 (laughs) and then selling them for $70, you know? So, but now like the, the Kindle Voyager and the Kindle Oasis, the newest one are like way too expensive. They're like three hundred dollars or or three hundred and fifty dollars, like absurdly expensive yeah, by Kindle they're standards. They're like premium again, all of a sudden. Right, but I feel like what Amazon's trying to do is say, like, oh look, we have this. This is the future of e-readers, and if you're <laughs> rich, you can have one today. But if you're not rich, this is what's coming. Right? It's like a yeah. weird way. It's the sports car, or like the yeah. And I feel like that's exactly what Apple car. has kind of always done, or at least in, in recent history, is mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, the the MacBook One, like, yeah, it's a $1,500 nonsense. Yeah. Well, I mean, the it's, as much as people complain about the MacBook One, I think the very first MacBook Air is one of the most egregious. Oh, it was so this, bad. That was $1,799 for not SSD. Yeah. One port. It had one USB port. Yeah. And this was in what, 2005? Four? No, six? I don't know. Whatever. Someone (laughs) can look it up. It was in some year? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I feel like it was close to iPhone ish. Um, But nonetheless, that thing was nearly $2,000 and severely underpowered. You know, people. 2008. Yeah. And like the MacBook Air wasn't good until 2010. Like oh, when like yeah. no, the, the original one was a joke. The price was close to a grand, which for Macs is pretty cheap. <laughs> and then uh yeah, SSD and just everything was finally like and so it's exactly what you're saying like that first MacBook Air was still the future, but my god, you had to pay for it then. Uh, and I so I the reason I was so fuzzy on the years cuz I was still in graduate school when it came out. And one of the few face-to-face classes I had where I had to go to a room like an animal and sit in a row (laughs) at a wooden desk, uh, a a girl 
slid it out of her <laughs> vanilla um, like she actually did the whole thing to be like and i just remember her being like oh look what you know my my boyfriend got me for my birthday and i was just like is he insane <laughs> well i remember they they had a build to order option where you could get ssd which would make it at least perform at a reasonable power level and I think it was over $3,000. That's the one she had. Because I remember her saying it was like $3,200 or something. And I was just like, but it, who like, cares? Like That's the picture where I agree with the trolls on the internet of like <laughs> people with more money than sense. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? And I mean, I now after the fact, I appreciate their lack of sense and their abundance of money because <laughs> I've owned MacBook Airs and, and you know, my, my Mac Pro has been informed by that design and that technology and and now everyone has realized that form factor and things matter. But holy crap, man, that first generation was just all pointing and laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe you bought that. Uh, holy crap, did we get far from where yeah. that started? Um, anything else about Pebble before I gloat about how great Uncharted 4 is? Uh, I'm the So the, the Pebble 2 and the Pebble Time 2, I think, are, are logical next steps. Um, a little bit of pivoting, and but like mostly logical next steps for Pebble, given the current state of the market and and all those things and blah blah blah. The core is what I'm most interested in because uh, I have an iPod Shuffle somewhere in this room. Um, I don't know where it is. I don't know <laughs> if it's powered on. I don't know if it works. Uh, I think Susan actually still has like an OG iPod Nano. No, wait. Her Nano broke, but it was under some bizarre warranty and they had to replace it. So somewhere in this house, there's also like a fourth or fifth gen iPod Nano, but I am probably never going to use those again. Are you going to hook it up to iTunes and sync files to it? This is exactly what I mean, right? (laughs) That way of life is dead to me. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up as a basis for comparison is because the Pebble Core has no screen. It has virtually no interface. You have to talk to it through either the web or through, you know, a a Bluetooth connected device. And I don't, for me, for the way I live my life, for the kinds of activities I engage in, I'm not interested in a device that is that single purpose. Yeah. That's too single purpose. That's too Amazon Dash. Yes. (laughs) So I those are the ones I'm more curious about because they're like, Oh, it's, it's got radios and it's in, it's on a hackable platform. And I'm like, okay, now make it do something that's worth me buying it for. Right. Cause it's, yeah. I mean, it's only like 70 bucks. It's not outrageously expensive. They tried to keep the, the margins on that thin, but I don't really need a dedicated running device. Yeah. Like if I'm going to go for a run, chances are I can put music on my wrist computer and then Bluetooth to that, I don't, this is too specialized for me to care about. What I want to see is someone do something so interesting with it that I'm like, oh. That you're pulling your wallet out immediately. Yeah. But the, the, those are my, my closing remarks. And I feel like if this was, in fact, the Accidental Tech Podcast, this is where we would segue into the music. Because we are yeah. now <laughs> going to, you're going to gush about Uncharted <laughs> 4. Yeah. So... Should we uh, spoiler free? Do you think you can do it spoiler free? So story spoiler free. I am going to talk about gameplay mechanics. So if you like, this is also a game, and if you really want to go fresh into how it works, 
two, then stop listening right now. This is your warning. Yeah, and this is the last topic, so. But I won't talk about any of the story stuff. Okay. Um, except in the vague terms of... There's a hero. Yeah. He goes on a journey of some kind. <laughs> At first, he's reluctant. Things are risked. Things <laughs> yes. are lost. Things are gained. Yes. I've ruined everything. Credits. Um, yeah. So Uncharted 4, man, um, there's so many facets of this game that are just... You play, like, I don't know how Naughty Dog became, like, the Pixar of video games, <laughs> but, like, they take forever, and then they release pure magic, and you just go, like, wow, how come no one else can keep up? And they're like, well, we're Ubisoft, and we have to release every 12 months, and we have to make 15 of these. Um, so there's, let, let us count the ways. So first off, I mean, the game is just beautiful. It's... I think it's the most beautiful game I've ever seen. And before the PC Master Race people <laughs> want to talk about frame rates or probably there's probably some tech demos that are technically way more impressive than what the PS4 can do. Um, but nonetheless, it's not just the tech. I mean, it has some like the facial animation is some of the most advanced I've ever seen in a game. Like you get the sense that there's like muscle movements around the eyes and like subtle things in the the mouth and face and like you know when someone's talking like their even their ears or even their their hair kind of moves a little bit and like they're getting so much the uncanny valley is still there but it's a, not as big of a valley as it used to be well it, it feels like to keep that metaphor going it feels like we're starting to climb out of the valley yeah like you're aware that you're still in it but we're we're no longer backing up to the other side and trying to jump it we're now just slowly climbing out of it suspending your disbelief is not a magical feat of floating above <laughs> the earth anymore um so the game is beautiful but it and you know with naughty dog games it's not just the tech it's also the art direction like the the composition the structure the the buildings and the natural environments they've painted here in 3d are just beautiful and inspired and incredible and so complete props for that um but some of the ways that uncharted 4 is amazing are in ways that wasn't always true about uncharted so i've always liked uncharted you've played several of them have you played all three of the other ones no i played the vast majority of the first one okay and which is I with hindsight I, it does not hold no. up nearly as well and i played it after i think they were about to release three so, I mean, I didn't even so this get is to like it. like 2010, it, 2011 or yeah, something. Yeah, I didn't even get to it when it was brand new. I think I played a little bit of the second one. And it, Which I think the second one is has been the fan favorite yeah. until now, probably. And and it, it wasn't because I didn't like it. it. It was just one of those things. I was just like, I'm, I'm just not going to finish this. And then I never got back to it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that always drove me crazy about Uncharted... Uh, even though I love the game and it's like it's total, you know, Indiana Jones, swashbuckling, smart, you know, maybe Nathan Fillion and Firefly kind of that yeah, kind he, of. He's very much like that character. Yeah. And it's so it's so much fun to watch him, you know, do impossible things like jumping between cliff faces and swinging and, and all this stuff. Um, the game is a, a huge fun action movie. But in the first three the gunfights were actually probably the worst thing about the game. And, you know, it's just bullet sponge hell. It's, oh, waist high boxes. I'm going to be shooting guys that only pop out of cover once every three minutes. And, for the and next. so many of those sequences, not only are they boring, but there was just, that was like half of the game. Yeah. 
And yeah, and it just felt, especially like the third act of the game, it was just like, you know, there's not that many more crazy story reveals, so there's just going to be set piece after set piece. And some of the set pieces are amazing, you know, it's almost like Sonic Adventure, you're running away from Shamu, like those kind of moments <laughs> yeah. are a blast, even though it's mostly hold the joystick and jump every once in a while. But this game nails the pacing so much better. Um it's it's almost like the game is way more confident in everything it's doing. Whether it's you know you're driving a jeep in a certain location, I won't even say, um, and y- you can kind of take your time well, and now, enjoy. Now that I know there's jeeps, I just why would I even play it? <laughs> and it's not like we better make him get chased right away because the gamer will quit right immediately. They're just going to quit the game, and it's like no, we. We know that this is a, a story beat or this is a, a breath in between moments. And the game just screams confidence from beginning to end in the pacing. Um, yeah. So did the first three come out before Last of Us? Or yes. Was it, okay, so it was one, two, three, Last of Us. And now, so I mean, obviously, having played Last of Us and being like a super fan of that game... You, it sounds like this is dramatically informed by what they yes, learned. Yes, and very famously, Neil Druckmann, director of Last of Us, directed Uncharted 4. Oh, well, okay. And so <laughs> on every level, you can see that influence. I still think I'm going to end up feeling like Last of Us is a game I like more tremendously and more deeply. But as an Uncharted game, this is way... like This, is, this isn't just slightly better than 1 in, through 3. It's far better. And you just feel that touch of they spent four years or something on this. They took their time, and you know they they found a way to to make the combat. It's it, they didn't just port Last of Us engine into Uncharted and go, well, he's a swashbuckling hero, but here's these <laughs> game mechanics that don't make sense for this genre. Yeah, and so. You know, there is a lot more stealth options. It's like all of the environments suddenly have been infected by tall grass. And so you have all these places where you can hide in the grass. And so um, there's Jeeps and grass. It's just. Yeah, I'm really spoiling everything. <laughs> and I don't care that it doesn't make sense that there's lots of tall grass conveniently where soldiers are. It's so much fun to sneak around and choke them all gradually in the right order as you climb around. And um, Well, and that seems more believable than every place you're going to fight people there's identically sized walls yeah. right like even even though it's and there's like, still plenty of that yeah, there's lots I, of cover but i mean in the in the world like you know trying to be immersed in the world it's it feels different to say like well i'm outside and i'm not in the suburbs so there's grass tall enough for me to like squat down in feels more believable than like i'm at these ancient ruins and there's just jersey barriers everywhere like <laughs> yeah. just jersey barriers <laughs> for miles um so that's all i mean i wanted to make a comparison of like the matrix sequels which if they existed um <laughs> I, there was you know a couple of years ago i watched the whole trilogy again and the first movie is kind of cheesy too but it still holds up as like this was a special moment in cinematic history easily. oh yeah and, and you can easily put on the nostalgia goggles you yeah. you don't feel like oh my god i can't believe i ever liked this yeah but the sequels like it's this weird thing of like man i'm sick of this terrible dialogue can you just get to an action action <laughs> sequence but then during the action you're like i'm really sick of this 
terrible sto- <laughs> like action that's just kind of meaningless and I'm not invested in. Can you give me some plot? And like you, you just go, get to the credits. You just get passed back and forth, and that's what some <laughs> of the earlier Uncharted's felt like. But this is not that way at all. Okay, let me move on from the pacing. Um, some of the oh, I, I started talking about stealth, and it, it really is a valid option throughout most of the game's encounters. There are a couple of fights that are still basically, here's a hallway, shoot your way out. And so there's like a couple moments where it felt like old Uncharted and you're like, dude, don't do this to me. But we, when, we talked about this. But when that's not every fight. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not nearly as fatiguing where you're like, I'm not even going to make it through half the game because <laughs> I'm so sick of, I hit that guy in the chest and I have to hit him six more times to kill him. Um one of the big, like, impressive things in this game is, it feels weird to say it, is ropes. <laughs> so That sounds weird to hear, too. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I talked in the pre-show a little bit and then realized I should save it. But um, <laughs> it's like, so you've played Zelda games, and they have hook shots, or sometimes they have other... Claw shots. Well, in the new one, but yeah. it used to be called a hook shot. Um, and in Zelda games, the power-ups are very cool, and they're very fun to use. But they're very much like this is a very storybook universe where it's like here's the claw shot box or oh yeah it's it's patch. a a tool has a clear thing that it works on yeah right? the 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 which red is part of the puzzle the red blocks and yeah. they color code the universe and they give you these you know it's pattern matching and it's part of why Zelda is really fun and I don't think they need to change that but this is a very different kind of game and so you get the sense that when Naughty Dog decided you know. Nate's going to have a, a big new ability to do stuff with a rope um, or even a... Well, I'll get to it. Um, so <laughs> instead of just doing that hook shot kind of style where it's like, well, here's a rope, swing on it and jump, which, you know, that style was in the earlier Uncharted's, you get the sense that they like solved ropes in a general case <laughs> and then said, what amazing gameplay stuff can we do with ropes now? And um, so it's not just swinging, though there's really cool, you can swing around cliffs and like your trajectory can be really wild. Um, But there's a tow cable attached to your car and there's little puzzle moments in the game where it's not go up to the right spot and press triangle and then watch him do the thing with the rope. It's (laughs) quick time events with a rope. It's take this rope and wrap it around the right thing so that your car can pull itself up this and it's like kind of like in uh, Arkham Knight, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit like that, and it was impressive in Arkham Knight too. But, but less obvious giant hooks but, that you latch. Yeah, onto. in Arkham Knight, it was Zelda style. It was yeah. like Metroidvania. Here is the hook spot, and I mean, you can't go to random trees in Uncharted Four and pull your car up any cliffside. But the the actual physics of the way the rope is working just seems like they just went the full. They 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 solved it completely. The, the full Half Life Two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so it was just delightful to see them apply this rope stuff in all these different situations. And it was it felt like a good Valve game. It's good to bring up Half Life in that it wasn't just here's a rope puzzle. Get ready to do the same puzzle five hundred times. See that was Arkham Knight. Yeah, just like every time you use the pull cable on the Batmobile, it's going to function in exactly the same way and it's going to look exactly the same yeah and it was like okay i get it yeah um what else what else well i guess so let me let me ask you about this because we we talked about this in the pre-show which we also didn't record because 
super professionals we are. <laughs> um, but I, I had asked you with the rope thing, when you said that, like they solved it in a general way, I, of course, took that and ran entirely too far with it. <laughs> and I wonder, eventually we're going to have to intentionally draw limitations around how accurately the game reflects the real world. Uh, and I, I can imagine like when we go to the holodeck future, like, well, that will be a perfect representation. Right. But in a console game, like with the, the current state of, uh, like console gaming or even PC gaming, I don't want to have to think that broadly about the universe. I want more options, but there is a ceiling somewhere. Yeah. At some point I'm going to want to say, please don't let me do literally anything I can think of because then I will lose myself and not want to actually do what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. I I want some sort of limitations and framework. Um, But at the same time you showed a, uh, you sent me a clip of a, a, a guy just shoots like a random rock and it creates like a little bit of a rock slide where, and it's just, it's not scripted. Right? Yeah. And it's not just some like texture map that animates. It's like rocks that were already there start moving yeah. in reaction to this. Yeah, real rocks that were really on the screen. He shoots and they respond in a real way. And my question to you was like, Oh, and if there was like a guy at the bottom of the hill and the rocks hit him, <laughs> would they like kill him or interact with him in some way? And you were just like, are you missing the entire point of this? <laughs> but it, it did make me wonder how, where is that upper bounds? Like, would you want to be able to just tie the rope to any tree and pull the, the Jeep up? Or is that um, like, please don't well, give me if, that much If freedom. I'm in a just cause or one of those open sandbox games. Yes. I want to be able to do this anywhere, especially if it's a procedurally generated universe and you like, yeah, but it it all comes down to, I mean, it's sort of like you talk about realism as a genre, like realism is one genre. If you're talking about books or movies, it's not the only point of all of this. And that's why you can have sci-fi or things that are obviously not real, <laughs> they're not documentaries, that have, you know, to speak vaguely, like real emotions or real, like something that's internally consistent that you respect, but the actual details of the plot and the setting are fantastical and crazy. And, you know, you know it's moon physics. Everyone can jump six feet high. Um, that's all fair game. Just, you know, make your compelling case for why you're doing it this way. And... Uncharted is not a realistic universe. It's an Indiana Jones universe. It's even less, it's goofier than Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's it's, it's fantasy realism, Well, unless you're talking the fridge, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, some of the jumps Nathan makes are just in... No one can jump that far. Right. And no or, one or can the, fall 100 feet. the weight feet. of him, yeah. yeah, like crashing onto his fingertips or rip his shoulders out. And surviving gunshots. Or just constantly partners, whether it's super old Sully or... Um, some of the other characters that cannot bench press 5,000 pounds are, you know, it's like, you know, there's still a lot of the press triangle and your partner pulls you up type stuff. And it's like, that's Elena. And she, with one arm, pulled Nate up. And she had one of those uh, adrenaline responses. <laughs> I guess she's all, it's always fight or flight with her. Yeah, she just hulked out. <laughs> and so, but I don't want it to be, well, Elena couldn't pull you up, so the game ended. <laughs> or, <laughs> Or, you know, like, it's fine. She's my AI partner for this part of the game. Um, And there we go. No, I'm I'm with you because 
I, I think uh, the those are just limitations, right? Like in this world, Elena is capable of helping you when it fits the story. And then some other time when she needs to not have superhuman strength, she won't. Right. <laughs> I mean, I always, I, I end and to up be coming... fair. I'm skeptical. Most of these characters could pull Nate up with one arm. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, like he, even if it was the reverse, him pulling her up, like she probably weighs what an adult human weighs. And yeah. that's more than most men can curl with one arm. So, um, but I always, whenever I think about the limitations of a, a game universe or even like a movie universe, I always, always come back to one of my all-time favorite lines from Hoover and Roger Rabbit. It's actually, it's an exchange, but he is trying to, uh, Eddie Valiant is trying to saw through the handcuffs and he can't do it because the table is shaking and Roger slips his hand out of the cuff <laughs> and holds the table steady and goes, is that better? And he goes, yeah. And he saws like two or three more times. And then he looks at him like furious and he sticks his hand back into the cuff and he goes, do you mean to tell me you could have pulled your hand out of that cuff at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. <laughs> and the reason that line is so amazing is because he's not being an asshole he literally couldn't <laughs> yeah. do it until it was funny. Like, yeah, there aren't no rules in cartoon universes. There are weird rules. Yeah, weird, like, comedy-based physics. And so I, I think... And you can look up Chuck Jones' rules for Wiley, like Wiley Coyote and Those, and those are interesting stuff. things. But I, I think video games are bound by the exact same kind of thinking, which is, like... Yeah, when when only the, when it's fun. <laughs> yeah, when when the character is falling and and needs to be saved by their partner, then they're going to be strong enough because otherwise the character would die and that then credits. Yeah, and so I'm leaving out purposely all the the story stuff, but it's also very great on that level and worth the ride. And it's just as funny and enjoyable as the other Uncharted's, which you know, I would say remains the biggest strength of the earlier games is the storytelling is just pure fun, but it has a little more nuance and gravitas with, I assume Neil Druckmann and the rest of the team. Like I think realizing and after proving it out with last of us, they're being trusted more to take their time to tell deeper stories with games. And we need to link to the film crit Hulk, um, (laughs) which is one of my, like, you know, ever since Roger Ebert died, which his video game comments aside, he was my favorite writer about movies, easily. He's a smart guy. And, you know, even if you thought his TV show about Thumbs Up was cheesy as hell, his writing is so good. And uh, since his death, Film Crit Hulk is weirdly like one of my favorite sources when I want to read about movies. And he wrote about Uncharted 4. And he does have story spoilers. It's Everything is about the storytelling. So if you don't want to be spoiled, don't read this. But... Um, he goes into deep detail about um, one of my favorite points, and this isn't a spoiler, is there's kind of this long-standing wisdom about games that you shouldn't do cinematics because cinematics suck and you're just taking me out of the game. You should always do it in gameplay. It should be like Bioshock or, you know, Valve's games, you know, there's no um, cinematics. Yeah. And those games are great and they're great at storytelling without cinematics and I I wouldn't take anything away from those games. But Film Crit Hulk makes the point, why do we have to be dogmatic about this? Cinematics are just one more tool, and they can be amazing even in a game. And it it isn't just get your movie out of my game. Well, I mean, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 
Kojima's always pushing the boundaries. (laughs) Took it way to the other extreme where you were, it was an interactive movie. Would you like some game with your movie? (laughs) Well, you you know, so I don't think that's actually entirely fair because it's not, I would say God of War in some ways was more interactive movie because there were these beautiful cinematics and it was like, press X to not die, press circle to do something awesome, press triangle to kill the bad guy. It was and, like Shenmue without any of the pacing. Yeah, and and uh, you know, it, it, there was some balance, but at least in Metal Gear Solid, when it was a cinematic, it was a cinematic, beautiful sweeping cameras and rich music. Yeah, every much and, attention to detail yeah. as actual films. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a legit movie, but then the gameplay was full-on gameplay well and that's always been metal gears saving grace is the gameplay is still so good yeah that so so you're willing to swallow the movie pill i I think there's not only is there a question of how much cinematics are is a good balance in a game but then when you're playing the game the game still has to be a game right you have to enjoy playing it so you can have a lot of cinematics or frequent cinematics or long cinematics if they're good and they're used well but then when i'm pressing buttons and making people do stuff instead of just watching them do stuff that also needs to yeah well and i think part of film crit hulk's point is and you again without saying anything about the story is (laughs) it's not just oh the cinemas were good and the game was good and for some reason this lunch came with both of those food items (laughs) it's like they inform each other they reinforce each other both are better for being together in this format and i think uncharted 4 you could make a case that it makes it does that very well thinking of last of us uh which this i will sp- spray some spoilers on if it's relevant cuz that bad. game came out years yeah. ago um but the balance in that game seemed very good because you saw cutscenes where cutscenes made sense, uh, where you needed a specific camera angle to to encourage a certain feeling in the player, or you were going to have a lot of dialogue and you wanted some like close up on the faces during that dialogue because the faces were revealing like the characters' real feelings, and it's hard to do that during gameplay, yeah. right? And then uh, when the characters in a cinematic were going to take an action that they wanted to make sure you as the player felt like the ending. Um, I'm sure when we talked about last of us, we talked about this, but when you go into uh rescue Ellie and the doctors, like one of them pulls a scalpel on you and is like, no, you have to let us do this. This is how we're going to cure mankind. You don't shoot the doctor in a cinematic. You, the player have to murder those three innocent doctors yeah. so that you can pick her up. I think you only have to murder the one, you monster. The other one, to cower against the wall. And then you can still oh, kill you're them right. if yes. you want and, to. And on my first playthrough, I only killed the one. And then the second time, I killed all three of them. <laughs> you got more murderers. Well, I wanted to see, because I started with the one who wasn't threatening me. Yeah. And I was like, if I kill that one, will the one who's threatening me stop? And it turns out, no. <laughs> but, and then the third person, you're like, eh, you're dead. Well, I was like, maybe if I kill both of them, the person with a scalpel <laughs> will realize I am serious. But uh, I, I think it was interesting. They they did a good balance of like cinematics when cinematics are the right tool, gameplay when gameplay is the right tool. And it sounds like you are, are, are trying hard not to give away story, but that that kind of thing has carried over. Yeah, you get like, and at the same time, it, it isn't trying to be The Last of Us, which told a very emotional story. There's father-daughter law stuff. There's 
survival stuff and uncharted is not that heavy in that way there's right. still i mean there's still for uncharted heavy stuff that happens but it doesn't unnaturally feel it doesn't feel out of place it's very much an adventure story and they give the right kind of gravitas to the relationships which is another testament to naughty dog as a studio that they can learn from a very different universe and a very different story and pull out the resources that will help them make something very different better right Mm -hmm. they didn't just say oh we'll make uncharted 4 basically the last of us but with a brighter coat of paint you know they they learned yeah which i still from it still very much want another last of us (laughs) and i still probably think that i like that game better or it you know, this isn't the only metric to grade a game, but I played through Last of Us over 10 times. Yeah. Completely, which is almost never happens with games. And I probably won't play Uncharted 4 again, maybe once. They actually, after you beat the game, you don't get a god mode and there's no like RPG upgrading system. Um, but they do give you a bunch of like gimmicky, silly things to play with. Like, <laughs> you can turn moon gravity on, and you get... Oh, like, like Tony Hawk used to be. Yeah, you get a ton of custom... You can put Nathan in ridiculous outfits, and <laughs> you can... Like, there's all these, like, filters to the graphics. You can make it pixelated 8-bit graphics. Nice. <laughs> um, you can make them all have helium balloon voices. So there's, like... <laughs> that's not probably going to carry me through another 12, 15-hour playthrough, but... But it's it's also... But like, I still thoroughly enjoyed it as a scrumptious meal of well, a game. Well, and if they'd shoehorned the RPG elements of Last of Us into Uncharted, as a player, part of you would be like, well, why didn't any of this exist for the first three games? Like, it would be so weird to just shoehorn that in. Yeah. But Last of Us had a very successful New Game Plus, and they found a New Game Plus that makes sense in the world of Uncharted. Like, yeah. th- this is... hard right it's really hard to take a lesson from a different project and say can we apply this lesson at all to this other project what's the real lesson (laughs) right (laughs) master what is the truth (laughs) i mean this is uh i i I don't think honestly i'll go back and play the earlier three uncharted's just well my recommendation is when i i think i sent the disc to justin i i have the disc so you can borrow it is play the first three i mean you don't have to like they do an amazing job of you don't have to know the story of the first three and they still make you feel nostalgia for like his past (laughs) adventures like um but if you do decide to take a trek in the first ones, play them on the easiest difficulty possible yep. and enjoy the ride. Yep. It's no less cinematic when you're in a building <laughs> and the whole building starts crashing down in the ground and you're jumping out. The, like That's just as fun whether or not the enemy took four shots or one shot. I mean, my first playthrough of Last of Us was on the easiest. Uh, when I played through the, the reboot of Tomb Raider, I played it on easiest because I'm not... I'm not now, and I never have been the kind of gamer who's like, I need a challenge. Like, and this it, needs to be hard. And it really is the bullet sponges that get more spongy when you change that. It's it. The puzzles are the same. Yep. The cinematics are the same. So, yeah, there's there's no dick measuring contest of like, I beat it on extreme. Uh, well, that was what killed me about Arkham Knight. 
Like, oh, you want to play New Game Plus? Hardest difficulty. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa. That really that complete that made the difference between me ever playing through that again. Yeah. It's like I want superpowered Batman, but don't take away my radar and make me go down in two punches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because those were part of my superpowers. Part of my superpowers were that I had like a Spider Man like omniscience of my immediate surroundings. <laughs> yeah. Don't take that away from me. Uh uh, anything else you want to say about it? No, I think 4? I've gushed enough. It's not a perfect <laughs> game, but those were all the things that I thought were pretty exceptional about it. So, because you, you brought me the disc generously to play it. Um, if I play it, should I then still consider playing the first three? Or if I play four, am I just done? Uh, no, I think the first three games are still very fun games. And I think you really, you just need to play it on the easiest mode because the the shooting just gets old. But everything else is still pretty great about those games. That's fair. All right. You ready to put a bow on this? I think so. Okay. So thank you so much for listening to episode 1291 of Flipping Tables. Uh, as always, you can check out the show notes at, fli- uh, not flipping, at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 121. And uh, also, please check out the Reddit community. Um, so if you go to reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables, um, Send us comments there. Have a conversation. Meet other fans. Let's mingle. Um, (laughs) We're also both on Twitter, as always, and that's perfectly great, too. Um, I I know some of our listeners tend to hit us up there because that's where we always tell them to. uh, True. Now go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Meet us everywhere in the public square. On Twitter, I'm at PseudoMichael, and Lions, you are? At Lions in Beta. And uh, if you haven't already, you should subscribe to Flipping Tables. In most podcast apps, you can just search for Flipping Tables and we should come right up. Um, You can also search for Sunrise Robot and subscribe to the Sunrise Robot Master Feed, which will get you all of our shows in one feed if you want to check out Bits and Pieces or Likely Story or Eclectic Readers and so forth. if you want to support us directly, we have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot, you can pledge dollars to the network. And depending on the level you pledge, uh, you'll get your name, you'll get a shout out on every episode of Flipping Tables or maybe even every show on the network. So with that, we, we want to give a shout out to our, our Patreon sponsors, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Edge to Edge Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, and Joan Edwards. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on Reddit and next week. See you on Reddit next week. 